I think that um, he could have chosen a, a better song to uh, lead into this message this morning. And uh, I want to thank you all for allowing me to be here this morning. I want to thank Pastor Josh and the elders here at Meridian for this uh, privilege and this honor to, to serve you this morning. Uh, I do ask that you would pray for me, though, because uh, I am weak, but I have a strong Savior, and so do you. And I pray that even through my weakness this morning, you will be strengthened in the knowledge and wisdom of Christ in whose name I greet you today. And I also greet you in the name of my home church, Sovereign Grace Bible Church of Ada, and they are praying for you and excited about what's happening here in your neck of the woods, and we're thankful for what God is doing. So if you would, just real quickly here, I would like to ask you again to, to pray with me and pray for me as we enter into the worship of God through the preaching of His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. This is a precious time to gather together with Your people to be fed by You, to be instructed by You, to be nourished by Your truth. And I pray that You would help us today to receive that nourishment. That You would fill us with Your Spirit, control our minds and our hearts, Lord, so that we would hear these words and that you would apply them to the way we live our lives and that we would make much of Jesus as a result of this message. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I, want, to, um, I want to do something I normally never do. I want to begin my sermon by sharing an illustration, by actually sharing a uh, short rescue story with you this morning. But don't be under any delusion a short illustration doesn't mean a short sermon, okay, just so we're clear on that. Um, but we all love to hear, I think we all love to hear great rescue stories, don't we? We all love that. We're, we're drawn to that. And my son, Haddon, and I, uh, a few months back, we actually were engaged in such a great story, a, a rescue story that we watched on TV. And um, it was a story that was really compelling. There was actually no speaking throughout the entire movie. Robert Redford played in this movie, and it was one of those movies that just kind of captured your attention just the minute you turned it on. And in this story, basically what was happening was this man was sailing in a small vessel out on the sea. And in the midst of his journey out on the sea, a storm overtook his little sailing ship, and it basically crushed it. And, and the rest of the movie really started off with that as the, the background. The rest of the movie was about his desperate struggle for life in a life raft on the sea, tossed to and fro. And it was a fight for survival every minute through the movie as you watched it. And as, as you just began to think that this man, he's going to be rescued. He's going to find hope here eventually. There's a, there's a light in the distance. Maybe that's a ship. Every time you thought that was going to happen, your hopes were dashed. The ship moved on. It was very difficult to watch this movie. It was an emotional struggle to watch this movie because you're always cheering for this man to be rescued and yet the rescue attempts fail and this man tries everything in his power to be rescued. And his last desperate attempt to rescue himself, he basically did what none of us would do. He actually slipped off of the life raft because he saw a ship in the far distance and he thought the last thing I can do is set my life raft on fire. 
Maybe the light of the, the raft will attract the ship and they'll come in to save me. And so he does. He sets it on fire. He slips off into the water. And as he's there in the cold water, he can see the ship in the distance turning away from him, not toward him. And he just slips further and further down into the water. He's so worn out by his failed attempts to save himself, he just gives up. He gives up. And he sinks into that dark, cold water. Then the ship begins to turn. It spotted him, but he didn't know it. Now, as we're watching this, my son and I are watching this, we're caught up with this, this struggle for life that he's going through, and we're actually literally, I, mean, I don't do this often, we're literally crying out to the TV screen, come on, hold on. Come on, swim. Look up. Your, your, your rescue ship is on the horizon. It's coming. But this man, so worn out by his attempts again to rescue himself, he just sank deeper and deeper and deeper into the dark water. And then suddenly, the TV screen went totally black, completely black, as he sank down into that miry water. And just a moment later, that same TV screen lit up with brilliant white light, blinding light, as his rescuers began to dive into the water and pull him up, embrace him, and then restore his life, breathe life back into him. Now, at that point, my son Haddon and I, again, we were excited. We were cheering. We were yelling, yes, yes, his rescuers have came. He's, he's saved. And we, we responded like that because this was truly an amazing rescue story. But folks, I have, have something to tell you this morning. Um, that fictional story, that fictional story about that man's rescue doesn't hold a candle to God's story that is the gospel. The gospel story is greater than that fictional story by every account. The story of how God has rescued dead and defiled men who were drowning in sin, dead in sin. And He did that by sending His Son to take our place. To embrace us and embrace us and our curse in that embrace. And then resurrect us to eternal life. In, in that story, unlike the story about this man in the movie, here's, here's what was going on. We weren't trying to be rescued. We wouldn't want to be rescued when we we're in our sin. We couldn't have done anything to deserve rescuing in our sin. We couldn't attract our rescuer by any means that we attempted. Because not like the man, we were not simply drowning. We were already dead in our sins. We were already engulfed by our wickedness. We were unable and we were unwilling to even cry out to our rescuer for help because we were dead. We were defiled. We were blinded, engulfed by darkness. But Ephesians 2 gives us some good news about that condition and about our rescuer. When it tells us that God, it says, but God in His great mercy, being rich in mercy, He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, to rescue us and to constantly restore us, even after that great rescue. And I'm thankful for that as well. 
The gospel story is a story about what God has done to rescue those who cannot rescue themselves. It's a story about how God the Son left the glory of heaven to give life to the dead and the defiled. And He did that by compassionately embracing us in that defilement. Embracing our death. Embracing our cross that we deserved. And then cleansing us by wrapping us in His own blood-soaked righteous robe so that He would be glorified as the Rescuer. And and saints, what we need to know about this this good news story is the Gospel and, and the good news of Christ's compassion towards sinners like us is too good not to be true. It is certainly too good not to be true. And that Gospel story is obviously woven from Genesis to Revelation, but we see it quite clearly in the Gospel accounts. And that's where we're going to focus our attention this morning. We're going to talk about the uh, compassion of Christ this morning. And in a good news story, we, we see that the Savior embraces us, and He heals us, and He cleanses us, even though we were dead and defiled and in our sins. And in Mark chapter 1, we see a living illustration of that. And that's where I want to take you this morning. So if you would, go with me to Mark 1, 40-45 to hear the story of Christ and the outcast. And listen carefully as I read this short passage, because I believe you'll probably recognize yourself in this passage. Beginning in verse 40, Mark writes, And a leper came to him, that is Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, let me give you an outline for this, and I know you have it in your bulletins, but but I want you to think carefully through this. In this story, we're, we're both seeing and hearing something very important. We, we, we hear and see, number one, the cry of an outcast in verse 40. And, and we see and hear the compassion of Christ in verses 41 to 42. And then we hear the command of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, in verses 43 to 44. And then finally, we see the cleansed man's reaction to what Christ has done for him in verse 45. Now saints, when, when Christ compassionately embraces the outcast leper here in this section. I believe that we as Christians today are given a glimpse into Christ's sovereign authority and His sympathetic mercy towards sinners like us. I think it's a living illustration of what God does for us in sending Christ as our rescuer. He expressed His sovereign authority in declaring us clean and He has sympathetic mercy toward us to embrace us in His arms. And I think the way you're really going to grasp the depth of this story, though, is to back up a few verses. So let's go back to verse 21 for just a moment. 
Beginning in verse 21, let me read down so you see what's going on. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. He cries out. So at this point, Jesus is able to display his sovereign authority toward the unclean man there who is demon-possessed. He shows his divine prerogative here in being able to set this man free. Verse 24 says, what have, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they were questioning among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He comes, or he commands, rather, even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Galilee. That's important. Verse 28 is important. And immediately... He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. Now, we've just seen his sovereign authority. Now we're going to see his sympathetic mercy. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve him. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now he's showing both sovereign authority and sympathetic mercy in this section. Could you just imagine what it would have sounded like at Peter's house on that day? Could you imagine what it would have smelled like at Peter's house on that day? Sick people, defiled people, Demon-possessed people being set free because of Christ's mercy. Then it says in verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. I mean, they want more of this, right? And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. He came out to declare the good news, display the good news, to share the good news. But preaching was the primary purpose for which he came, to declare this kingdom that had come through him. And here we're learning that Jesus is going throughout all of Galilee doing that. He's, he's preaching the gospel. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. And in verse 40, where our story begins this morning, the good news of that work of Christ is being declared, it's being seen, it's being heard. And, and they see and they hear that this authoritative teacher is now in their presence. And this is important to the leper. He's heard the testimony. He's heard the preaching. The preaching of Christ's authority and the display of Christ's mercy. It's, it's now reached the ears of a defiled leper, an outcast. And this defiled and desperate man now is irresistibly drawn to Christ by God's ordained means of hearing the good news about Christ. About His power to rescue and His power to restore the unclean. And that was good news to the leper because 
the leper knew something that most people didn't know that were in an unclean state. He recognized that he could not change his unclean condition on his own. He was incapable of changing his condition. He needed someone to rescue him that was powerful enough to cleanse him and yet compassionate enough to come near him and even touch him. And I'm glad that he found that one. I'm glad that I found that one because I was just as leprous as this man on the inside when he found me. I'm sure that we're all pretty familiar with leprosy in Christ's day, the, the condition that it was and how hopeless it would have been and how, how lonely. Have you ever thought about how lonely that condition would have been? How, how the leper would feel about being shunned and separated from all his friends and family and fellowship? The, the very dread of this infection kept his fellow Jews at a distance because of God's law. It said to do so, Right? God's law declared them to be unclean and commanded lepers to confess their shame by holding their hand over their lip, crying, unclean, unclean, when they enter to the city. We see that in Leviticus 13. It's declared there. That is what they must do. Lepers were not allowed then to enter the walled cities at all because of this. They would hear their cry and say, no, you may not come in. And even the rabbis at this time would boast that they would take stones up and they would cast them at the lepers just to keep them out. That was their boast. Because the law had said they could not be a part of their society. No one could even touch them physically. It's very important to keep that in mind. And then think about what that would have felt like if you would have been a leper in this time period. Imagine the shame you would feel. There's something wrong with me that I can't change. But no one wants to help. Imagine the desperation. Imagine the loneliness that he felt and had to struggle with every single day aside from the physical disformity, the physical struggle. Leprosy had separated him from his family. Leprosy had separated him from God's people. And leprosy had separated him from worship in the temple. And this leprosy would eventually even destroy his life. Now that's important for us to consider this morning. Because in that way, leprosy illustrates to us what unconfessed sin in our life will do as well. It will divide families. It will drive us away from fellowship. And it will disrupt our worship. And it will eventually destroy our lives. The spiritual effects of sin are far greater than these physical effects of leprosy on this man. We may not suffer from leprosy today, but we do suffer from a much greater infection, a greater problem. We still suffer the effects of indwelling sin's presence in our life, even as Christians. And the effects of that sin in our life will discourage our walk with God. It will rob us of spiritual joy if it is left unchecked and unconfessed. But even through the illustration of the leper, we have hope. We have hope because the illustration of the the leper shows us that when we cry out to Jesus to cleanse us in our condition, He will hear us when we cry. And He will act. And that's what the leper does in this passage. He, He cries out because he had been drawn by the preaching and the truth of who Christ is and the mercy that He displayed. 
And so he came to Jesus, confessing his need of cleansing and believing that only Jesus had the power to change his defiled condition. The only reason he could do that, saints, is because God had opened his eyes to see the reality. To see that he could not remove his inward infection on his own, and neither can we. He could not clean up his life enough to remove the effect of the infection in his body, and neither can we. He knew that there was no rule or law that would ever change him from the inside out. And we know that as well. The law could only point out that the leper's desperate condition was present, but it couldn't provide what he needed most, which was both cleansing and compassion. Saints, the law was powerless to cleanse the leper. But here's the good news. What the law couldn't do Jesus did. Jesus did. Here's here's the good news. Romans 8. Look at Romans 8 with me. Romans 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus did what we could never do on our own. The law couldn't provide what we could never earn. And so all praise belongs to Him and His compassionate grace that came to us. And all praise must go to Him because as we read on in Romans 8, we see that the sinner will never come on his own to Jesus. He cannot and he will not come to be cleansed. Because we all have suppressed the truth in our sinful condition because, frankly, we we loved our sin. We loved our sin. And and we were spiritually blinded by the darkness of our sins that we once lived in until God opened our eyes to see our foul condition and to see the only hope is to flee to Jesus and His compassion. And it's that great compassion of Christ and His cleansing mercies that we can now rest in when we cry out, even when we struggle with sin as Christians. And we say, Lord, I need You to cleanse me again. I need You to purge me and cleanse my mind so that I would now look at You and behold Your glory once again without shame, without the struggle of this condemnation that, that Satan and the flesh may feel that it puts upon me. I've been set free by you, and I'm crying out to you now for mercy once again. That's the only hope for outcast sinners and for weak saints. But it's a sure hope. It's a sure hope because if you go on back to to Mark 1.40, you begin to see that that Christ answers this man in a very poignant way, a very important way, because He's asking, are you able? He he believes he, He can, right? And are you willing? And He finds that He is. And so here what we see is Christ is able to rescue sinners. And He's willing to restore them because He has opened their eyes to see their sins and the glory of His compassion. And church, when that happens, we will cry out like the outcast in verse 40. When this happens to us, this is the first point. In verse 40, we hear the cry of the outcast in Christ's very presence. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now now notice here. Notice what the outcast says 
and does. First, he is irresistibly drawn to Christ through the message that he had heard. Then the leper confesses his unclean state and his faith in Christ's sovereign authority. And then you hear the leper's faith in his very words that he says in this line. And and see his faith in this very humble posture that you see before us in this text. In verse 40, we, we, we see the leper imploring and kneeling. Luke 5 says he is falling on his face. He's basically beseeching. He's he's begging and he's bowing before Christ in humble submission, confessing his unclean condition and his need of mercy. Folks, this is how all sinners must come to Jesus. We must come to Him broken over our sins, clinging to Him alone to be our cleansing Redeemer. We have nothing to offer Him but our sins, and only Jesus can cure us and cleanse us within. He can change our sinful condition. We must confess that. We must recognize that. And even as Christians, you better remember that, lest you try to earn your continued cleansing. You come to Him humble, bowing and begging, saying, Lord, You are able, You are willing, because You have already accomplished it at the cross. So cleanse me once again. Remind me of Your grace. Now go back to 140 here. In 140 we see that the leper humbled himself before Christ and expressed belief in Christ's ability to cleanse him. And the leper says that. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now he he believed this. He, He believed that Jesus could do this. He wasn't doubting when he came to Jesus begging. He really believed that Jesus could cleanse him, but from his experience with the spiritual leaders of Israel at that time, he just didn't know if Jesus would be willing to cleanse him, even come near him. He might have picked up stones to throw at him. So it's not a matter of him not believing. He believed, and he knew he could do this if he desired to do it. And what he finds is Jesus was was willing. He was willing, And, and we should rejoice in that. We should rejoice that He is willing to come near the defiled. He is willing to embrace us in His arms. His response here to this leper, I think, is astounding in verse 41. In in verse 41, we learn that Jesus is willing to embrace the defiled. And, And listen, if you can't read this text and find your soul thrilled, there's something wrong. I'm sorry. This this should thrill your soul when you see what Jesus is doing because you are the leper. I am the leper. This should thrill us to see what Jesus does as He embraces this defiled man in verse 41. In verse 41, we see how Jesus responds to the humble outcast and and those who are drawn to Him and confess their need of cleansing. Verse 41 says this, secondly, we, we see the compassion of Christ. The compassion of Christ embraced the outcast. He's moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. That's a judicial declaration, by the way. Be clean. He was making a judgment about the man's condition. Yet, look what he did before he ever said that. He touched him. This is important. It always amazes me when I read verse 41 because Mark's Gospel is the only one that records this. Mark is the only one that says he's moved with with pity, with compassion. It actually means he's moved 
in his inner beings, all right, it just uses the word bowels, okay? That's the word that's used here. It's emotionally, internally, Jesus has mercy toward this man. He feels it in his guts. To me, that's an amazing description of a sympathetic high priest that we now have. He, he feels our struggle. He cares about us. And he's moved by that concern, that compassion. Notice there in verse 41 that Christ was moved internally, and then secondly, Christ moved physically near to the outcast. Now, did Jesus have to touch him to heal him? No, he did not. He could have simply spoke it and it would have been. But what does he do? Verse 41, he says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Christ expressed His willingness to answer the leper's request, His willingness to cleanse this defiled man before He ever spoke His declaration about His being made clean. He touched Him, saints. He touched Him. And this, this word in Greek actually describes, describes an embrace. Listen, folks. He, he stretched out His omnipotent hand of mercy, and embrace this defiled man. That is your testimony as a believer. He, he did more than merely touch him. and A mere touch would have been shocking, but what Jesus did was, was, was really beyond belief to those around him. It was an expression of extravagant grace toward the leper. The touch was forbidden. It was forbidden so that you would not spread this disease, so you wouldn't contract his condition. But here we see Christ is willing to embrace the leper's condition in order to cleanse him. I want you to know not only are you going to be healed on the inside, but on the outside as well, but I have accepted you. I have brought you in by my grace. I have embraced you. and My very touch has made you acceptable. I have declared you to be mine. And I'm going to make it visible through your healing. Now, this is very important to us. Because Jesus' physical embrace of this leper reveals to us that He was willing to become what we are so that He could give us what we need most. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, which we heard earlier, because I think that's clearly what that passage is referring to. Jesus, in the mind of the people around Him, would have been considered defiled now because of touching this defiled man. Yet, the one who was without defilement, the one who was holy, the one who was pure and had all authority, when He touches you, He changes your condition. You can't change His. He changed you. He embraced that condition to give the leper what he needed. And he did the same thing for us at conversion. In 521, here's what we see. For our sake, God the Father made Him, Jesus, God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Saints, Christ embraced our curse to grant us His righteousness and to reconcile us to God eternally. That is the good news. Aren't you glad that Christ did that for us at the cross? Aren't you glad that He still does that when you are in need of His cleansing touch as a Christian? His, his touch is not a one-time touch. It's a, an embrace. It's an internal, eternal embrace. He holds us in His arms forever. 
saved by His grace, cloaked in His grace, kept in His grace. But we need to remember about Jesus, especially when we see these illustrations in the Gospels, is yes, Jesus is God, the Son. Absolutely. We affirm His deity. But Jesus is not a distant deity, folks. Listen to what Hebrews 4 says. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Saints, Jesus still draws near to us in our time of need and embraces us. He never lets us go. And aren't, you, aren't you glad to know that when He embraced your curse at the cross, He never let go of you and He never will? He made you His own. He imputed to you His righteousness, cloaked you with His blood-soaked robe to say, you're forever sealed by Me. You're Mine. I've removed your leprosy. It can no longer be seen. You are clean. In that way, Jesus is not just the Savior. He's the sustainer of the weak and the weary Christian. He has cleansed us. He has healed us. But He continues to walk with us in our battle with indwelling sin. So let me, let me comfort you with that this morning. If, if He embraced you at the cross, if He embraced you and cleansed you by His righteousness when you were in your worst condition, and He did it by covering you, covering you with His own robe of righteousness, if He did all that, He will certainly embrace you now and restore you when you struggle with sin in the present, in your weakness. He has not changed. He is forever the same Savior who is willing and able to cleanse you and to draw you to Himself and cleanse you by holding you in His embrace. That's a comforting truth to us as Christians because we still struggle with sin, do we not? We are still in this battle with this body of death. Yet Christ has said, I've overcame already. You're mine. I've cleansed you. I've declared it to be so and I'm willing to walk with you in the battle if you're willing to confess. Are you willing to confess you need Him? Are you willing to confess you rely on Him and His righteousness, not your own, to sustain your walk with God? I rest in Jesus and Christ alone, right? In Mark, go back to Mark 1, 42. We learn here that the leper found out what we should know as Christians, that, that when you come to Jesus confessing your guilt and trusting in His sovereign authority and His mercy, you get much more than what you ask for. He gives you what you need. Here in Mark 1.42, we see that Christ's compassion more than answered the cry of the outcast. The, the outcast leper wanted to be physically well, right? He wanted to be made well again. But Christ does more than simply make him physically well. Look what it says. And immediately the leprosy left him. He, okay, he's physically well. And he made, and he was made clean. He was sovereignly declared, ceremonially clean by Jesus because of His compassionate, restoring 
embrace. All around would see that this man has not only been declared to be clean, he has been treated by Jesus to be unclean, to be clean rather, to be clean by his embrace. And everything in this man's life at this point was transformed. Everything changed. I mean, could you imagine looking at your hands, feeling of your face, and feeling where the holes for the, the leprosy had ate through your flesh, all filled back in, and your fingers restored. Yet, that was the second important thing that he recognized. He'd been declared clean. He could now go back to the temple. He could now go back and worship with God's people and be a part of the congregation of Israel and, and sing praises to God openly. And that thrilled his soul. And it should thrill our soul that, that once God has made us clean, we can do the very same thing. We can gather now with God's people without shame, with no fear of condemnation. We can come here and confess our weakness, confess our struggles with sin, yet know that God has accepted us. He has declared us to be clean so that we can sing His praise without shame. Saints, when, when we humbly cry out to Christ like this leper, we, we need to remember that He is still eager and able to give us more than we are even willing to ask for. He is willing to cleanse our conscience. He is willing to revive our fellowship with God. He is willing to lift up our downcast souls. And He is willing to restore to us the joy of our salvation. What we learn here, I think, is this, that in Christ, we certainly have a compassionate Savior. And we have a merciful master. Because look what he goes on to say in verse 43, the third point. In verse 43 and 44, we hear the command of the Lord to a cleansed man. So once Christ has cleansed you, does that mean you can go on doing what you want? No, you've been purchased. You've been bought with a price. He is now your master, your Lord. And you should obey His commands. And immediately we find that this leper still struggles with indwelling sin, like we all do. But look what it says. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So the leper was commanded, right? He's commanded to go, go to the temple, show yourself to the priests as a proof to them, right? In order to fulfill God's command in Leviticus 14, it basically, he's, Jesus is saying this, because look, if, if you do this the right way, if you do it the way I tell you, I'm going to get the ultimate praise in all this. All right? If the man had went through the process, these very priests would have had to publicly confess that this man had been healed. This man was clean now. He's cured. And they would immediately have to ask, how did this happen? No one has seen this. How did this happen? And then, this is what should have happened. This man should have came into the temple, came into the synagogues, shouting that, I've been healed by the Messiah Himself. Jesus' cleansing embrace is what brought me this. And He is God's anointed one. He is the Messiah of Israel, the merciful one. But that's not what happened. That's what should have happened, but that's not what happened. And I, I think that it's really hard to, to come to this text and just look at it and go, man, that guy blew it. He did, all right, technically. But I don't think I would have done any better. I don't think I could have responded any differently than he did. 
this cleansed man just couldn't wait. He couldn't wait. And let me ask you this. When you were born again, isn't that how you felt? You can't wait to tell somebody. I can't wait to declare the worth of my Savior, the mercy of my Master now. I can't wait to tell people that I have been redeemed by the blood of God the Son who gave Himself up for me freely and embraced me in His mercy. That's the way we should have all felt. And I pray that you still do. And I pray that looking at the leper, you now will be compelled to feel that way even more so. He couldn't wait to go back to the temple. He couldn't do it. He couldn't, I can't do that. I've got to proclaim this good news about Christ's cleansing power. I've got to proclaim this good news about Christ's compassion and mercy toward me. So the last thing we see in Mark 1.45 is the cleansed man's uncontrolled reaction. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, obviously, this man ignored the master's command, and there's no excuse for that. No excuse for disobedience. That's not what the text is implying. His disobedience had consequences. The text is clear on that. He could no longer go throughout the Galilean region, and it disrupted his ministry there. So it was a problem. But again, let's not be too hard on this newly cleansed man. It would have been hard to control his joy that he had within when he looked at his body, when he recognized what I'm about to be able to do now. My whole life has been changed. He had been given new life through the power of Christ and His compassion. He had once been a defiled outcast. And now he was one who had been embraced by the Lord Himself. He'd been declared clean by the Master. He'd been restored to life by the Sovereign One. He couldn't really keep that in his heart. Can you keep that in your heart? If you're born again, and you know the miracle of what God did in, in saving you, and sending His Son to be your propitiation, to be the one who would take your place, your substitute, can you keep that in your heart? I pray that you can't. I, I pray that you want to declare it openly and excitingly as, as this man here in this narrative. Saints, when, when you recognize what happens here, it should convict you as a Christian about your testimony, about your witnessing, about your evangelism. It should convict your heart. Um, God's Word is, is beautiful. It's, it's encouraging. It's nourishing. But it's also convicting. It's meant to be applied. And so as we read this and we think about this, we should think, am I responding like the leper to my changed condition still today? When, when Jesus touched him, everything in his life changed. He was completely healed, fully cleansed, restored back into fellowship. He no longer had to walk into a city and cry out in shame, unclean, unclean. He could now walk into a city and cry out, I am clean! I am clean! And He did it with joy because the one who cleansed Him was the Lord Himself. And He knew the Messiah had embraced Him in His love. That should be our testimony as Christians. Evangelism is not scary 
when you consider all you're doing is telling others about the glorious Savior who saved you out of your defiled condition. You're just worshiping. That's all it is. It's just worship. Your testimony as a Christian is the same as that of the leper here, this cleansed leper. We were spiritually unclean, but when Christ touched us, everything changed. We were eternally cleansed by God's grace through Christ's compassionate embrace at the cross. And so now, we don't have the same command that the man there in Mark 1 had. We can do what the cleansed man was told not to do when we go into a city. Saints, if Christ has cleansed us, it's now that cleansing that now compels us to go into every city and every place and declare the worth of our Savior who touched us and embraced us in His compassion. We're called to proclaim the good news about the sovereign authority of Jesus and His sympathetic mercy that rescues and restores sinners like us. So isn't it great to know we don't have the restriction that the leper had? The cleansed man in Christ now can go to every city and every place declaring, I am clean. I'm clean because Jesus, God the Son, came to this earth to take my place and embrace my curse and show me His mercy now and forever. So let me ask you this in conclusion. Have you been embraced by Christ's compassion today? Here's a couple of things to think about. If that's the case, do you now want to run to Him daily for cleansing and restoration when you struggle with sin? Are you openly confessing your need of His constant presence in your life to cleanse you and keep you from sin? Do you, do you still now want to run into the world and proclaim His cleansing power and His sovereign authority and His mercy? Now, you may not want these things perfectly. You may not do these things as well as you ought to, but do you want them? Is this your desire? Do you want to make much of Jesus? Do you want to glorify Him? Do you want to rejoice in His power and declare His worth to others? But maybe you struggle still, and I get that, but, but do you want it? Is it your desire? If it's your desire, you ought to run this morning to Him rejoicing. Because that desire did not start in your own heart. That desire was given to you by an act of God's sovereign grace. That desire is a miracle of sovereign grace. And it's an illustration of the compassion of Christ's grace towards you in making you willing to now honor Him. And so if you want to do that, though you don't do it perfectly, rejoice. Because He is at work both to will and to do His good pleasure in you. He will accomplish this. The one who began the good work, He's going to finish it. You're going to be glorified. In the meantime, you should rejoice in knowing that you're secured by this embrace that Christ brought you at the cross. And out of that, you pursue joy-driven sanctification. Praising God for His constant embrace of mercy you received from Christ Himself. So I pray that as you read the story of the leper now and forever, you will uh, always remember that the sovereign one who saved you is also the compassionate one who is with you. His embrace never breaks. And we can always go to Him and confess our need 
of cleansing daily. And He'll never turn us away. So let's rest in that and rejoice in that as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this promise that we receive in the Gospel. That as we come to You and confess our defiled condition, we know that it's as a result of You drawing us to Yourself by Your grace. And Lord, we thank You that when we cry out in that condition for mercy in Christ, we have found compassion. A sympathetic high priest who will embrace us and has the power to declare us to be clean. We thank You for Jesus, who is our hope and our salvation. We thank You for the gathering of Your people to remind us of this truth, to bring us to a place of worship now as those who are cleansed lepers, forever embraced at the cross by Christ and kept through eternity for Your praise and glory. Let us rejoice in that every day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.